facts, fibs, and fairy tales. Not to sidebar it too much at this point, because there's way more sidebars later. This hot piece of ass, apparently. Get it. That it just, like, it just exploded. I've, like, never seen jizz like this. She was like, oh, you're not supposed to sleep over on the first date. I was like, yeah, fair enough. But did you ever see her again? Or was that, was that it? That was last night. It was like an audience participation sort of deal. And, like, you know me. Any attention I can get, I'm going to fucking take. Yeah. Like, that's my currency, his attention. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to Facts, Fibs, and Fairy Tales with your factual fairy, Matt Sweet. This is the sixth and final episode of the series where I read, I cold read, that book I, uh, Jesus Christ. (laughs) I'll leave that in, fuck it. It's that time where I read, cold read that book I wrote that one time. <laughs> oh, Jesus. I need to stop doing these. I need to get back with another human being. Uh, sitting alone by myself is a very strange way uh, for me to be doing this. Uh, so hopefully I can find someone to come talk to me soon. <laughs> anyway, listeners, I hope this finds you well wherever you are. I hope you're having a good week. Um... Cute little update. I literally just recorded the last episode and we're powering through. So nothing's changed from last week because it's been less than three minutes since I recorded that. Um, But I will say, uh, having closed all the windows and without the AC on, I'm still topless and I have sweat rolling in places. You would think that like in the darkness of my apartment it would be cool. Um, But I definitely have... You know when you get like that one line of... um, sweat that kind of rolls off of your armpit hair and then like drips down onto your rib cage and it kind of like tickles but also you're like I'm gross but also like keep doing it I like it so that's kind of what I've got going on but on both sides like oh god it's just a lot Whew. anywho this week we're gonna I'm gonna read you part 14 or chapter 14 of uh, the memoir I wrote that one time and uh, this goes into some pretty in uh, complicated uh, childhood trauma for me. Uh, The chapter is called Mommy Issues, so, you know, there it is. Um, And this is a, when I wrote this, I resisted it. I resisted it a lot because I was worried about, you know, airing the dirty laundry of my family. I was worried about how my family would react to it. Um, And I was worried about unlocking uh, a part of my history that I have worked really, really hard to avoid for most of my adult life. Um, And this all happened before I even went to therapy and we started talking about these fucking issues. Whoo, girl, I'm already getting emotional. And that is how my therapist knew this is what we were gonna talk about. (laughs) All right, so I don't think there's much more to report. Um, I'm just gonna dive into it, and, uh, fuck it, here we go, um, no apologies. So this is chapter 14, Mommy Issues. When I was four, my parents split up, and I loved the joke that my sister was the mistake that caused the marriage, and I was the kid that failed to save it. So if she's the mistake, then I'm the failure. And nobody seems to find that as funny as I do. But I have no recollection of a time when my parents were together, so maybe that's part of why I can be kind of callous about it. Or maybe I'm just an asshole who loves a cruel joke. 
two things can be true. My sister and I went to live with my mother, and we became joint custody kids. Every other weekend and Wednesdays with Dad, and my sister remembers this time as the Gary period, where my mother dated a series of men all seemingly named Gary. The most I remember of that time is a hazy memory of being in a car with my mother and sister outside of a farmhouse while we waited for a man to join us. I can't confirm whether he was a Gary, though. And then along comes Paul. Paul is a tall, lanky French-Canadian who hates his own Frenchness. He smokes like a chimney, and in the early days, all I really knew was that he, was a, he drove a transport for work doing long-haul driving. He read the newspaper religiously and loved the show Seinfeld. I can't really recall the courtship period between my mom and Paul. I only remember that one day he lived with us. And the early days with Paul are kind of hazy at best. But what I do remember were the days when Paul and mom would fight. When my mom gets angry, it's a sight to behold. She has a hazel ring in the center of her eyes that seems to grow when she's mad, to the point where when she's focused on you, it looks like fire. When her and Paul went off, the energy of it was intense. It always started with a morning of passive-aggressive responses from both of them, with the occasional long sigh and rolled eye. By early afternoon, they inhabited two separate spaces, usually she inside and he outside in summer, or her upstairs to his downstairs in the winter. By mid-afternoon, one of them, usually Paul, would find themselves in the wrong place, within range of the other, and then the yelling would start. The content of the fights was almost always the same. Paul would not want to do a thing Mom wanted to do, or Paul was just an asshole to someone that Mom liked. I guess it was Mom's thought that if she browbeat him into going to whatever it was, he would totally have fun there, and that always works, right? Inevitably, once the yelling would really get started, my sister and I would leave the house and walk down the hill to my grandma's house. It was over some fields, through a small wooded area, and down a hill. Basically, your standard red riding fantasy. On arrival, we would watch TV, bake cookies, play in the barn, or play cards. Anything that struck our fancy, really. And while I didn't realize it at the time, this was all orchestrated by my family. As time wore on, Paul and my sister developed a relationship filled with pranks. She would spray him with shaving cream, and he would dump a bucket of ice water on her while she was in the shower. At one point, Paul took it upon himself to make us a pond where we could skate in the winter. This act led to the ultimate mud fight. And it was during this mud fight I realized that I was not actually part of their fun. As they laughed and threw great gobs of mud around, I was left on the sidelines. Prior to this, I had never really considered that my laughing along wasn't really participatory. The mud fight was just the first time I sensed that I was on the outside looking in. This sense of an ill fit wasn't anyone's fault in particular, though as I got older it did start to feel a bit more nefarious. In all the time Paul had been in our lives, we never really spoke of or saw his family. Coming from a collection of families that were deeply invested in each other's lives, this was an entirely foreign idea to me. We knew that he had children, but that they never spoke. In, in particular, I knew he had a daughter, and in a way I think my sister was a surrogate for him. And then there was me. As a result of that classic young gay kid cliché, I felt very apart from any everyone. As such, I withdrew into fantasy novels and computer games. These fantastic worlds were the perfect escape as I began to grapple with my otherness upon entering my teens. And Paul latched onto this feeling, and whether with intent or not, managed to cut me deep. There is one moment in particular that is lodged firmly in my psyche that refuses to leave. 
In order for you to properly understand it, I have to reveal something shocking to you. And I hope you're ready for it. I sit down to pee. It's true, I sit to pee and I enjoy it. I know it's confusing your thinking, but Matt, you have a penis. Those are made specifically to allow you to stand and pee. Why are you fighting what your DNA is telling you to do? And to you I say, never do anything unless... <laughs> and to you I say, never do anything anyone insists you must do. Just do what you want and worry not. <laughs> of course, when I was 13, I wasn't quite the self-actualized unicorn I am now. Sometimes the messages the universe... Bleh, Sometimes the messages of the universe take a little longer to arrive. One afternoon I was enjoying a nice pee, and Paul inadvertently walked in on me. He gave me the once-over, begged an apology, and closed the door. I heard him walk to the kitchen where my mother was. Then he declared, Bonnie, your son sits to pee, so you know what that means. And my mom, bless her, responded with, no, what does it mean? Which caused Paul to stumble, because he didn't want to say it out loud. In addition, I'm pretty sure my mom had her crazy eyes come out with the ring of fire in the center of each iris. Meanwhile, I sat on that toilet, struggling to figure out what it did mean. I mean, I've stood up to pee, I just choose to not, because sitting is the best. Further, it creates less mess, and I don't have to worry about my splashes offending the powerful, loud women in my family. But what would cause Paul to comment on the position I choose to pee from? It didn't take long for me to figure it out. It was more of that coded language I heard so often at school or on the bus. What he was really saying was, Bonnie, your son sits to pee, therefore he is a faggot. The worst part about these childhood aggressions is that inevitably they turn out true. Or at least they do for me. Which isn't to say that I believe that sitting to pee is a primarily gay man's pursuit, just that as much as you might struggle against these ideas at the time, in the end, you are still gay. Maybe correlation doesn't equate to causation, but it sure does fuck with you when you have to acknowledge that your bullies knew something about you before you did. Shortly after the sit and pee showdown, I withdrew even further into myself. Even though this experience was completely mild and definitely nothing in comparison to the pain and rejection experienced by so many other queer kids, it was enough to remind me that even in my own home, I wasn't safe. This, tied together with the explosive nature of my mom and Paul's relationship, ensured that I never invited friends over to my house. And that's a practice that endures to this day, despite living on my own. It's a bit like, because I've finally created a space that is completely safe, I don't want anybody coming in to threaten that, whether or not I love them to death. So there's a little glimpse at one of the darker aspects of my being. Sorry to throw that at you like that. I Don't worry, though. I'm, I'm certain there's more to come. <laughs> When my sister was around 16, she moved out of my mom's and in with my dad. And this was a crazy experience because up until the day before the move was to occur, I was supposed to go with her. And sadly, at 12, I worried about my mom being left behind with a guy that so clearly made her sad. So I stayed, when it might have been the better choice to go. The day my sister moved out was ugly as fuck. There was much screaming and a few... But what about your brother? In the vein of that classic line, won't someone think of the children? But when all was said and done, I think I ran into the woods to wander and lose myself in my imagination, which for the following years would become a theme. Looking back, I know my sister made the right choice. Her relationship with our mom had taken a turn to the ugly as she hit her mid-teens. In some ways, mom was trying to live through us in order to alleviate the pressure of her, of her unhappiness with Paul. My sister, being the social, non-reclusive kid, got the brunt of this action, and eventually her only escape was to move away. I sometimes wonder what might have been if I had gone. 
Would I have left my shell sooner? Would I have instead of gone deeper into it? Would I be an accountant today? Who knows? In either case, I found myself alone in the house with the ever-deteriorating relationship of Mum and Paul. Which isn't to say there weren't good times. Every now and then they would find moments of joy. Often these circle around trips to Las Vegas where they would explore the casinos, see all the shows, and gamble away money. They would come back from these trips flush with excitement and happiness. In fact, once they came back and my mom had a new ring on her finger. We all kind of assumed that they had gotten married, but we had no real proof and we certainly were never told. And as the quiet ghost living in that house, I certainly never asked. The worst time of the year was always Christmas. For ages, it was a slog where we would have to do Christmas with my mom, then mom's extended family, then dad's mom's family, then dad's dad's family, then my stepmother's family, which would sometimes be two events, and sometimes just one, depending on who was talking to whom at the time. Annually, mom and Paul would have their Christmas fight, which made this marathon of false holiday cheer worse. It would start on the day of Christmas Eve. My mom had a traditional event that night, so we would have to clean the entire house and prepare for guests that were about to mess it all up anyway. At some point, my mother's pestering would get to Paul and he would snap at her. Then they would have a door-slamming, screaming fight, after which he would storm out to go to town, ostensibly to buy booze, but more likely to get away from the fight. I would end up grinding through the inexhaustible list of chores and be in a foul mood by the time the, fam the first family guests arrived. The night would be... Blech. The night would run pretty late, and Paul, having returned from town and had a few drinks, would almost be a human being. We would open a single present once everyone left, and then went to bed. In the morning, we'd wake up, open the rest of the presents, and have a nice breakfast like those regular families you would see on TV. Then it would be time to pack off to Grandma's. And here is where Paul would start resist going down to the farm. They would start sniping at each other, and eventually we would get in the car and leave Paul to find his own way down later. At grandma's, someone would ask where he was, and my mother would reply with the standard response, who knows? Which was perfect, because it shut down future discussion and reminded the family just how shitty life was up the hill. Right around when lunch was served, Paul would roll in, eat a plate or two of food, make some uncomfortable remarks, and get back in his truck to go home. As the years wore on, I began to relish any time spent away from home. At one point, my dad moved to Toronto, and that's where I went every other weekend. It was a break from the relentless chain-smoking of Paul along with the bickering and screaming matches. Whenever I arrived in the city, I would immediately wash all my clothes in my bag so that I didn't smell like an ashtray for a while. The train ride home was crushing. With every kilometer that passed, I could feel the pervasive tension that existed in that house re-enter my body. As I headed into my second last year of high school, the animosity between Paul and Mum had reached peak levels. This was when my sister did something very selfless, and moved back to our hometown and had me move in with her. Delivering the news was unpleasant. I shy away from confrontation with my mother, partly because she's a powerhouse of a person in an argument, but also because having been the other occupant in that house for so long, I know how much she had to fight every day, and I didn't want to add to that burden. At the time, she didn't understand why I would want to leave. Her perception of Paul was very different than that of her children. I can't say what she saw, but I suspect the fear of loneliness we all experience had a lot to do with it. From that point on, my mother and I have had a very different relationship. I've always been an immensely private person with my family, and pairing that with an ineptitude when it comes to staying in touch with people makes for a rather surface-level connection. For a while, I was the gay son she paraded out to show her co-workers how cool and accepting she was. 
Admittedly, I love turning my gay up to full volume on those things, so it's not like I got nothing out of it. <laughs> she has been extraordinarily kind to every boyfriend I have brought home, and I think there is a gap between my mom and I because we have left so much unsaid. Thinking about it now, I wonder if I should have said, hey girl, you're unhappy. You've been unhappy for years, and the time has come to fucking do something about it. And that's what I would say to anyone else. But because there's so much we don't say to each other, it's like we have nothing to say. Paul is a huge component of why I don't want to go home, why I don't want to engage, and certainly why I can't stand the smell of cigarettes and clothing. Each of my parents has at one point or another given me a phrase that I use all the time to remind myself how to get through existing. The one from my mother is one that has accidentally come to represent how we are when we are together. We laugh, we gossip, we giggle, but we don't really dig too deep into any issue. Once upon a time, my mother said to me, you can say anything you like to someone, as long as you say it with a smile. <laughs> At the time, she meant dealing with tough customer service situations, but I've expanded it into my entire life. It is how I can get away with saying repugnant things to people or speaking hard truths. And yet the hard part about being a strong, independent human is that despite all the work we do to be glorious, when faced with our parents, we revert to the childhood versions of ourselves. And maybe one day I will tell my mother to have courage and to axe the poison of Paul from her life. Maybe she'll read this and save me the horror of having to look her in the eyes to do it. Maybe instead she will find that courage all on her own and rediscover who she is without him. Or maybe instead I will continue to do the waspy thing and stay silent while screaming internally. I'm not proud of this fear, but there are some chasms I refuse to jump into without knowing what is at the bottom. Paul has had the misfortune of being the villain of my childhood. The more I learn about him as an adult, the more I loathe him. Others from my childhood I have found ways to forgive and forget. But with him, I will only ever hold an ugly torch of rage and hurt. He doesn't take up a lot of space in my mind these days, but, the, by, but by virtue of his ongoing presence in my mother's life, he is a scab that only itches when you accidentally bump it on something. A scab that refuses to heal. I try to remind myself that we are all the product of our experiences. We can't control the choices of those around us. We can only determine our own. When I think of how my history with mom and Paul has influenced me, I think they taught me everything I never want from a relationship. Love is hard, but it should never be brutal. Communication is work, but it should never be cruel. Sometimes a person you love is only meant to be with you for a short while. Clinging to something beyond its expiry date poisons all of it. And that poison is wicked because it spreads beyond the two of you. The hard part of being a fucking unicorn is knowing when to accept an ending and when to fight for just a few more moments with someone. The worst part about that battle is that you won't ever know if you were right until it is all said and done. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Oh, fuck me. <sighs> so anyway, that's that part. Um, <laughs> I think fun update. Uh, around the time that I wrote this, um, actually, Mum and Paul did break up. I mean, it's complicated because, because of his insanity, they still live together. And it's been three years. Um, but it has been really 
really special. <laughs> to see my mom become, I don't know who she was before or who she is now or whatever you want to call it, but I mean, she's obviously still struggling because he's still fucking there, like a piece of shit. It's stuck to the bottom of her shoe. But getting to see my mom sort of rediscover her social life, um, to open herself up to new experiences and, and go places and do stuff um, that she hasn't done for a very long time has been really fucking cool. <laughs> Um, yeah, I don't know how to <laughs> wrap this up any other way than to say that I'm really proud of that lady, and I think she's fucking cool. <laughs> um, so with that, I'm going to go <sighs> try to stop emotionally sweating and, uh, go try to get started on, uh, series seven. Um, It'll be a couple weeks, but uh, then we'll be into nightlife, where I try to get uh, drag queens and DJs and others to tell me about their experience with nightlife. Um, and it's definitely a different tone than this, so I hope it makes you laugh. I hope that uh, the cold reading experience hasn't been too jarring, but um, partly it was uh, post-breakup. I needed something that was easy to do and would uh, keep me still podcasting while... Uh, Avoiding having to go out and talk to people too much. <laughs> anyway, um, with that, I hope the rest of your week is great. I hope the week you've already had was great. And uh, stay cute and interesting. And I guess call your parents if you've got them. Love you, bye. Thank you for tuning in, listeners. If you want to connect with me, if you want to be a guest on the podcast... You can reach out to me uh, on Twitter at FactsFibsFairy, or on Facebook or Instagram at FactsFibsAndFairyTales, or you can reach out by email at FactsFibsAndFairyTales at gmail.com. When you get home, I would like you to masturbate. <laughs>